February 7, 2010, Canadian Forces Trenton Base Commander Russell Williams is asked by police to come downtown for questioning over several incidents. During a 10-hour interview, a shocked and perverted story would emerge. The case tonight, Russell Williams' perverted murderer. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, hope you are well. Now, before we get into it tonight, keep October 19 aside if you'll be in Melbourne. I'm going to visit my lovely mates Barney and Tara from Bloody Murder and we're going to record a True Crime Island third birthday episode together. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'll be flying in early and after recording, we are going to the Retreat Hotel in Brunswick, where we were before, to have a few beers at 4pm. So if you're a listener and want to join us, please come on down. Uh, There will be other podcasters there. Full details will be on Twitter and Facebook. But if you don't have those, want more info, email me at cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Now, for this week, I have a story that you well may know about. I'm sure you do. It's about a guy that not only rises high in his chosen field, but he's also quite well known and respected. That is, until one day his whole life comes crashing down and he's exposed for the rotten, perverted scum that he is. I picked this one because I watched his confession on YouTube and I was taken aback by how matter-of-fact he was when he finally confessed to the murder of Corporal Marie-France Camot, 37, and Jessica Elizabeth Lloyd, 27, between November 2009 and January 2010. Okay, so let's get some sources here. I sourced all of this, (laughs) all of it, from The Fifth Estate, which you should search on YouTube as it is a great show. Also, CBC News, True Crime Daily. I saw a couple of their versions of this story as well. Um, That's another YouTube show you should watch for sure. Also, Greg MacArthur from The Globe and Mail. There's also a case study of Russell Williams by Margot C. Watt, PhD, and Sherry H. Stewart, Have a read of that if you can search for it. That's absolutely amazing. And also, of course, newspapers. Now, the newspaper I found most of my stuff from was the Ottawa Citizen newspaper. Good on you, Ottawa Citizen newspaper. Very good piece of material it is. It's got had had so much stuff. Okay, so it's 2009, Ontario, Canada. David Russell Williams, born March the 7th, 1963, in Bromsgrove, England. His family moved to Chalk River, Ontario, where his family, David, got a job at the Nuclear Research Lab. 
William's father, Dave, was a loud and authoritarian figure prone to insulting his wife in public. This was one of the funniest things I saw. So he didn't have a, have a problem having a go at her. When his parents divorced, his mum, Noni, married newly divorced Dr. Jerry Sovka. And when he found work at Ontario Hydro, this is Dr. Jerry Sovka, they moved to Scarborough Bluffs near Toronto. Now, apparently the Williams, when they were married, were friends with the Sovkas, which were another couple. So it looks like a bit of a scandal especially in the 60s. And look, if this bloke's insulting his wife in public, you can't imagine why not Noni goes and runs off with some other bloke. Anyway, Russell, and now Russell Sovka, he he used uh, the other last name, was only six years old at the time, so he's only a little kid. He, like I said, he did last uh, change his last name a bit, but I will refer to him tonight as uh, Williams or Russell Williams, uh, just to avoid all the confusion. Now, without going into too much detail about Williams' early life and schooling, I will say that his stepdad, Jerry Sovka, was pretty good at his job. And what this sort of meant was the family moved around quite a bit. Williams was quite good at school, finished at Upper Canada College, which they call UCC, a place where rich kids are sent for schooling. As his parents, they were in Asia at the time, so he was a boarder. From what I can see, he was quiet, didn't party, but he was a bit of a Nazi, not in a political sense, but more a uh, making sure everyone's respected and followed the rules, got to bed early, that sort of guy. As such, he was more than a hall monitor. He became a prefect at school. Now, it looks like he was pretty good with the trumpet, though. He's quite musical. Anyway, he would go on to study at the University of Toronto's Scarborough campus. Here, he studied politics and economics. Now, again, from what I read, the campus at that time had a series of unsolved rapes. None have yet to be linked to Williams, but another character, Paul Bernardo, the serial killer and rapist, also went to the same school around the same time. Now, that is a story for another time. Okay, well, at the University of Toronto Scarborough, Williams was known for picking locks and hiding in people's rooms for hours, jumping up to scare them when they got back. Now, if this isn't disturbing and fucking weird, I don't know what is. Well, one thing that is just as weird as his... It's just as weird as his fucking haircut. If you see some of his photos from back then, oh my God, I actually got my haircut on Saturday because it started to look like Russell Williams. Okay, I saw one of the videos on YouTube where his friend at uni told the reporter about him hiding in people's wardrobes and rooms. And he thought at the time it was more quirky, funny than serial killer creepy. I don't know. I think I would have set him up and used a cricket bat to sort out his little pranks. Or for Canadians, you probably wouldn't use a cricket bat. You'd probably use a hockey stick. Anyway, he he hooks up with a Japanese girl for a while, but she dumps him probably because you can see what a pervert it is anyway he's devastated and he becomes withdrawn 
So he gets his Bachelor of Arts in 1986. He learns to fly at a local airport and watches Top Gun the movie over and over and over again in his room. In one of the videos I saw, there was his very close friend, very big friend, Jeff Farquhar. He was saying he was hoping to become a jet fighter and win his girl back. So he was just sort of getting lost in this sort of movie thing. Anyway, he turns down an offer to join the Mounties in 1987. He then joins the Canadian Forces, which consists of the Royal Canadian Navy, Canadian Army and Royal Canadian Air Force. In 1990, he gets his wings and serves two years as an instructor at the training school in Port-a-la Prairie at Manitoba. I think we mentioned that the other day with the uh, guy who ate... The guy from the bus, remember that? In January 1991, he's promoted to captain. Now, maybe some military people listening, they can tell me if that's quite of getting promoted fast or what. But I thought you should be a bit more experienced to become an instructor after three years of flying and in four years of becoming a captain. Look, I, I don't know about that, but it looks like he was ambitious and determined to excel in his career. He meets and marries Mary Elizabeth Harriman in June of 1991. So from his bio page, which you have to get from the Wayback Machine, because it's well and truly (laughs) deleted by the Canadian Air Force. Anyway, this is from the Canadian Air Force website. And I'll just read out a bit from 1992 onwards, because I've already just told you what he did before then. It's from uh, 2010, this was, from when he becomes a colonel and wing commander. In 1992, Colonel Williams was posted to 434 Combat Support Squadron in Shearwater, where he flew the CC-144 Challenger in the Electronic Warfare Coastal Patrol role. He was subsequently posted to 412 Transport Squadron in Ottawa, where he continued to fly the Challenger, this time in the VIP transport role. Promoted Major in November 1999, he was posted to Director General Military Careers, where he served as the Multi-Engine Pilot Career Manager. In 2003 to 2004, he obtained a Master of Defence Studies from the Royal Military College. He was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel in June of 2004 and appointed Commanding Officer of 437 Transport Squadron. Squadron. He then did time as Commanding Officer Theatre Support Element, posted to the Directorate of Air Requirements, then posted to the Canadian Forces Language School in Gatineau to learn French. In 2009, he's sworn in as the Wing Commander of the Canadian Forces Base, Trenton, Ontario. So William's career is going quite well. He'd been trusted during his days of VIP transport role to fly the Queen. That's the English Queen. She's our Queen as well. I think she's your Queen over in Canada as well. Oh my God, how backward we are. And her hubby, the Queen, the Queen of Edinburgh, <laughs> the Duke of Edinburgh, and even Canadian Prime Ministers. 
Imagine being on a plane sitting between, say, Trudeau and crusty old Duke of Edinburgh. That would make for some serious funny conversation in an awkward kind of way. Anyway, Williams has been in his role as wing commander for only six months when in January the 28th, 2010, 27-year-old Jessica Lloyd goes missing. But before we get to that, there were other strange things going on around town. You see, there was a panty thief getting around, stealing ladies' undies, and not only ladies' undies, but little girls' undies. This had been going on for the previous four years, and although reported to police, they had no real leads. The thief was able to get into houses, steal the undies, and get out again, leaving zero clues. Now, we aren't talking about a couple of (laughs) G-strings. I think you call them thongs in other parts of the world. We're talking about hundreds of pairs from nearly 100 break-ins. Also, in September 2009, there are two reported rapes and a murder that police were investigating. Now, look, look, a lot of the panty thefts were happening in and around Cozy Cove Lane, Tweed, Ontario. Now, guess who lived at Cozy Cove Lane? Yeah, Russell Williams. And he would be door-knocked by police who were looking for leads in the rape and panty theft cases. Now, police at the time believed they could be linked. Williams also had a house in Ottawa where his wife, she spent most of her time there while he spent uh, his working week at Tweed because that was close to the base. His wife would then usually meet him at Tweed for the weekends. Now, look, for those who don't know, Ottawa is about an hour or so drive northeast of Tweed. Now, the two rapes happened around the Tweed area. Now, I think they were almost in his street. In the first, the unnamed woman was asleep in her home with her infant daughter. A man broke into the house. She was bound and blindfolded. She was molested, stripped and forced to pose for photos. Now, this went on for about two hours with the perp assuring her he wouldn't hurt her or her baby. Now, of course, when I say the perp, we we know this is Russell Williams graduating from break-ins and panty theft to rape. After he finished his perversion, he was at he ended up going to work and he was planning a charity event with members of the Criminal Intelligence Service of, of Ontario. Anyway, two weeks later, Williams broke into Laurie Massacott's home in Tweed while she was sleeping. She was woken by Williams punching her in the head. Again, he blindfolded her, bound her and forced her into pornographic poses while he took pictures. He was more interested in getting the pictures than raping her. He actually apologised for hitting her in the head and he offered her aspirin. About three hours later, he fled the scene. Anyway, on October the 29th, 2009, Police raided the home of Larry Jones, a neighbour of Russell Williams, looking for computer digital storage devices, black and purple bras, thong or G-string undies, two baby blankets, pornographic photos and videos, white shoes and zip ties. So this Larry Jones, he just lives across the road from Russell Williams. 
This poor bloke's arrested. He's paraded out the front of his house for all to see. But then he's quickly cleared of any involvement in the rapes and, of course, all the other things going on in the street. It's still a shitty, shitty thing to have to go through. Now, things are starting to get out of hand. At this stage, Williams has escalated from panty thief to rapist, but he's now about to escalate even further. On November the 25th, 2009, Marie-France Camot, a 38-year-old flight attendant at Canadian Forces Base Trenton, is found dead in her Brighton home. It will be found that she's been raped and murdered. Williams, he'd noticed her as they'd worked together before on the airbase. He'd broken into her house when she wasn't there several times before November 25th. As usual, he was stealing panties. Well, on this night, Williams had broken in via a basement window where he'd tried to hide in the basement there. But Marie spotted him after she noticed her cat staring at something. Williams hit her with a flashlight and subdued her. He then tied her up, blindfolded her and took her to the bedroom. He raped, videoed and photographed her for two hours. Now he'd wrapped duct tape around her head, leaving a little hole near her nose so she could breathe. Eventually, when he'd satisfied himself, he put tape over those air holes and she suffocated. He then left taking some of her undies as a trophy. So through all of these break-ins and stuff and rapes and at, at, at this point one murder, Williams is going to work, he's going to home, no one's noticing anything different with him. He's able to act totally normal even though, like I said, he's just raped, tortured and murdered somebody. He wasn't just breaking into homes either and stealing panties. He was staying in the homes for long periods of time. He would try on the panties, bras and all the lingerie. He'd take photos and videos of himself posing in the stuff and he'd often wank himself off on the victim's beds. Photos and videos of his hairy body in women's bras and panties. Not only women's, but little girls' undies as well. At one place, he was in a little girl's room, wore her panties, whacked off, and left a message on her computer screensaver that read, Merci. Now, that means thank you in French. Another time he photographed himself on the bed of a 15-year-old girl, he was masturbating while holding her fucking teddy bear. On one break-in, he wanked himself while watching a woman get into the shower. Now, she had no idea he was there. He'd actually sneaked into her house while she was there, watching her get into the shower. Look, this is quite amazing. It's disgusting, but amazing. Now, in another incident, one lady came home to find her dildos missing. She called a neighbour over to discuss what had happened, and but they both decided not to call police as it was a little embarrassing. Anyway, she went out and on her return, she found a message on her computer screen saying, go ahead, call the police. I'll tell the judge about your big dildos. Now, this meant he was hiding in the house when she was discussing all this 
about her missing dildos with her neighbour. Is Look, all I can say is, fuck's sake, this guy is seriously twisted. Anyway, on the 29th of January 2010, 27-year-old Jessica Lloyd is reported missing after she fails to turn up for work at the Tri-Board Student Transportation Services at Napanee, Ontario. She had last been seen the day before. In her home was her purse, keys and phone. Her car was out the front. Now, Islanders, we all know what that means when someone's reported missing. Jessica is nowhere to be found, but after call-outs for help from the public, a passenger in a truck that drove past Jessica's house the night she went missing, Lyle Barker, calls police and tells them about an SUV he saw parked suspiciously near her place on that night. It was parked away from her house and seemed to be out of place. He remembered it because of all the police activity outside her house while the police were investigating. Now, he was able to give police a description of the SUV and told them where it was parked. Now, police found tyre prints in that location that Lyle pointed out and they had luckily been preserved in the cold weather. It hadn't snowed and police were able to get a good imprint. They also found boot prints around the back of her house. On February the 4th, police set up a roadblock for 11 hours on Highway 37 near Belleville. It's here that Williams is pulled over and questioned. The tread on the tyres of his SUV looks similar to the ones police recovered from Jessica's home. They don't let on anything. Williams has let go on his way, but he's now under surveillance from that time on. Police will do some digging into panty raids, rapes, and the murder of Marie and the missing Jessica. They find Williams can be linked to each of the cases, either by living close by or working with the victims. On the 7th of February, police ask Williams if he'd like to come down to the station just to answer a few questions. Williams agrees and presents himself at the station by himself without a lawyer. In the interview room, Williams was asked if he'd been interviewed by police like this before. He said no. Then he mentioned that, well, he had been interviewed for his top secret clearance. Now, I guess by mentioning his security clearance, he's trying to intimidate the interviewer. Well, this guy's pretty bloody good. At first, Williams looks confident and relaxed, and he's even joking. Williams is starting to get nervous, though, and hesitates in answering the questions as the interview goes on. He's now sort of trying to think his way out of this dire situation he's found himself in. Now, this interview, honestly, you have to watch it. On, uh, you can find it on YouTube everywhere. It is really quite, oh, what can I say? It, it's almost like a perfect interview style from the interviewer into getting this guy. But uh, anyway, let's, let's keep going. Williams is starting to get nervous. He's, he's hesitating, like I said. Now, he's, during the interview, he's asked to supply fingerprints, blood, and footwear. Now, Williams agrees, but then quickly he looks down at his boots. He's wearing the same boots that he wore 
going to Jessica's house. I mean, what would you be thinking right now? Yeah, take my boots. Yeah, oh, shit, hang on, not these boots. Anyway, asked if there's any reason his DNA would be at any of the location. And he's also asked if his wife would not like to find out why he would be at, his DNA would be in any of these locations. He just says, definitely not. They ask him about the tyres on his car. He does confirm they are the Toyo brand. He doesn't know what model of type of Toyo tyres. When the coppers say what model it is, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Still, he keeps trying to deny everything throughout this interview. You see, Williams, even though he's very intelligent, he's an accomplished man, He's made many rookie mistakes in his career of crime. Police then show him the footwear marks from Jessica Lloyd's house and a photocopy of the boots he's just given to the cops. They are identical. Now, at this stage, Williams knows he's fucked. The investigator then puts the heat on. And finally, speechless for minutes, the investigator continues to attempt to get a confession so that he could tell them where Jessica's body is. First, Williams tells the investigator that he wants to minimise the impact on his wife. So at this stage, all the people watching this interview from outside, they know they've got him. He finally cracks and indicates on a map where Jessica's body is. Now, you know where he put her body? He dumped it close to where his neighbour Larry Jones would go hunting. Remember Larry Jones, the one police raided because he was a suspect in all these rapes and this murder? Williams was trying to set him up. At no time does he ask for a lawyer or or shut his mouth. His ego was too large and he thought he could talk his way out of all this, but he didn't factor in that the police had a lot of evidence already. They just needed a confession. So Williams tells police how he noticed Jessica while driving past her house. She would be in her workout clothes and this turned him on. Each day he drove past her place, he would see her. One day he noticed she wasn't there and decided to break into her place and of course he stole some undies. One night he drove past her place, parked in the field nearby and broke into her house. As she slept, He went into her bedroom and as per his method of operational MO, he hit her over the head, blindfolded her with duct tape and tied her hands with rope. He tortured and raped her at her home for three hours while she pleaded for him the whole time, don't kill me. He then forced her into his car, driving her to his place in Cozy Cove Lane, Tweed. Oh, and he also helped himself to her undies as well. He then continued to rape and torture her for 21 hours, all the time photographing her, videoing her, all this whole violent scene. He then told her to get dressed and assured her that he would not kill her. As she walked along, thinking he was going to let her go somehow, whatever, I I wonder what was going through her mind, maybe take her in his car and dump her on the side of the road. Anyway, she was walking along, While she faced away from him, he smashed the flashlight over her head. He then made sure she was dead by strangling her with a rope. 
He dumped a body in the garage and went off to work at Trenton as if nothing had happened. Williams then spent the weekend with his wife, returning three days after killing Jessica to dump her body off at Carrie Road. Now, that's not that far drive, a few minutes' drive from his house. Now, this is the place Larry Jones, the guy who lived across his road, he'd often go to, uh, hunting in the area. He had a little camp there that he'd go to. So police were able to locate her body and inform her family and friends. So in the confession, Williams has told the police where to go. So police are now able to go there. They find her body. What an awful thing. He would admit admit to taking 60 pieces of underwear just from Jessica and Marie alone. Now, that's a lot of undies. In fact, searches of both his homes revealed thousands of items. There were undies, bras, camisoles, shoes, dildos, photos and videos. They were all documented and catalogued not so much by police, but by Williams himself. Now, I don't know what he was thinking of doing with them. I mean, he's cataloging all this stuff. Well, what's he spending weekends going through it or what? I, I have no idea what's going through his head. So Williams is in custody at the Quinte, I think that's Quinte, Quinte, Quinte Detention Centre in Napani. Here he tries to kill himself by shoving a cardboard dunny roll down his cake hole. Sadly, guards were able to take it off him and he survived. He also tried a hunger strike. For what the fuck are you doing a hunger strike? I have no idea. World peace? What? Anyway, Williams would end up pleading guilty to two counts of murder, two counts of sexual assault, two counts of forcible confinement, and 82 counts of break-ins. He was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. He ended up, well, of course, this is all concurrent. He got 10 years each on the sexual assault charge and charges and one year each for the panty raids. In a plea deal, his child pornography charges were dropped. So I guess in 2035, he will be eligible for parole. I really don't think this disgusting pervert should ever be allowed to walk free again. Now, William's military uniform was burnt, his medals destroyed, his commission scroll shredded. His commissions were revoked, but from what I see, he's still on a $60,000 a year military pension. So that will be $1.5 million over 25 years. How this is allowed to happen, I have no idea. He has settled out of court for several claims against him, but Laurie Massacott is suing him for $7 million. But guess what? She wasn't allowed to target his pension. His wife divorced him. How much she knew of what he did, we will never know. Now, from the case study, which I've mentioned before by Margot C. Watt, PhD, and Sherry H. Stewart, it says, It seems she dutifully or willfully refrained from looking into the many bags and boxes full of women's undergarments and sex toys that were stored in the basement and garage of their Ottawa house. J. 
Jack Levin, Professor of Sociology and Criminology at Northeastern University and author of Serial Killers and Sadistic Murder, Up Close and Personal, contends that in many cases, the wife is totally ignorant of her husband's killing spree. He says she appears to have been the most incurious woman. So you've got all these boxes of stuff and she doesn't look in any of them. Mm. Now, I won't read anything that William said in court. I don't care what he's got to say. I just think it's totally bullshit anyway. But I will read out a piece from the Ottawa Citizen, 9th of February 2010 by Alyssa Dalton, Thandy Fletcher and another piece by Sharon Kirkey. It went on. Marie Fance Camo had been in the military for 12 years and had been at 437 Squadron for six months before her death. Elaine Plante, her former common law partner of more than four years, said, I'll miss her for the rest of my life. She was an angel, a flower, and though we were not together, I could never speak against her. She is a lovely person. She loved her job. Ellen Wood, who worked with her as a flight attendant, said she was a wonderful person who was always smiling. She was fun. She was friendly. Everybody liked her. Thomas Warren, who worked worked with her at the base, he also said she was one of the happiest people I've ever known in my life. Jessica Lloyd. She was remembered as an easygoing, fun-loving person whose death shocked everyone. Carrie Beattie, a co-worker, said she had an amazing personality and cared very much for her friends and family. She will be truly missed by anyone who came to know her. So, what makes someone who's no criminal record, in, no criminal record into their mid-40s, that they're successful in their chosen career, what makes them turn like this? Now, look, don't get me wrong. I don't care if some guy wants to wear ladies' undies and bras and take photos of themselves. I don't care what anyone wants to wear for undies or even if they want to go commando for that thing. But sneaking into little girls' rooms, trying on their undies and photographing yourself knocking one out in their bed, well, that's a line no one should cross. But how, in such a short time, he went from all this panty raid stuff to forcing women into sexual deviances, then to rape and to murder. Maybe if they look a little bit further back and see where Williams was located over all those years, maybe more of his perversion will be found. Now, apparently, there were some unsolved rapes from the time he was at uni. and then, But then again, Paul Bernardo... He was operating at that time as well in the same location. They went to the same uni. Also, the fact he's getting a pension, well, look, the government needs to sort that out. Unless, of course, out of all that money he's building up, the victims can get their hands on some of that money. Well, Islanders, that's about it for my take on this deviant scum. I know there's lots of other podcasts out there. Some of my mates have done it and they have their version. So please go and check them out. 
Also, you've got to look at this interview on YouTube where he confesses. Now, the ones I watched, I must have watched them six or seven times. That's why I'm doing this case. It's absolutely amazing. There's a few different length versions. Some have got some commentary and all this with it. Some are just out and out a couple of hours of this confession. You've got to watch how his body language changes from when he walks into the interview throughout the the interview it just totally changes okay islanders that's about it for tonight and before we get to the shout outs don't forget we've got the meetup at the retreat hotel at brunswick on october 19 also thanks for new subscribers to the youtube channel i'll try and put some more episodes up soon so to the new patreons this week thank you so much to brett farwell thank you so much boom fuckalunga brett and Jody Peterson, boom, fuckalunga, Jody. Thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference, as you know. True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free, as you know. I don't like them, and neither do you. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a financial Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island. Check out the levels and the rewards. I got mugs, stickers, and t shirts. Now, if I do send you something from Threadless, that's the t shirts or the mugs, it will have tracking. I will send you the tracking. Please monitor this and let me know if there's any issues. Liam in Australia, hi, mate. Uh, he's had two shirts not arrive now, so the first one didn't. And the second one looks like it hasn't got there either. So please let me know so I can sort something out. If you don't want to do a monthly payment, you too can do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash true crime island. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, fantastic tote bags, all that sort of stuff. All available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Don't worry, there's... Links on my webpage, which is truecrimeisland.com. Please don't order the black mugs until further notice. I do have keychains, lapel pins, and stickers. You just contact me directly for those because I've got them at home. This can be done by emailing me, cambo, at truecrimeisland.com. That's also the best way to get hold of me personally for anything else, such as requests, or just, so, just to say, boom, fucker longer. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate, review, and tell your friends, family, and workmates about the island. If they don't know how to tune in, show them, because there's just not my podcast out there. There's so much stuff out there, they'll probably get rid of their TV. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join the closed group on Facebook if you want. Shout out to Curtis in Melbourne, Bullfuckalunga, mate. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James. And I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom fuck a lunga. <laughs>